Have a seat. Grab your Bibles, have a seat. Uh, we're in week two of meeting Jesus, right? Looking at someone else that Jesus sat down and had a conversation with. Um, this is going to be a different kind of a day. We're looking at, remember last week? Who did we talk about last week? Who met Jesus last week? You got it? Yeah, good job. Mary and Joseph, right? They went through the challenge of the way that they think, their logic, things that could be possible with God that aren't necessarily possible with man. And then it challenged their love. Do I love God more or this person in my life more? It's a big deal. Uh, today we're looking at someone a little bit more mischievous, someone we like a lot less. We do not celebrate them. They're not involved in a holiday. In fact, we're looking forward to the day that they burn in hell probably. Uh, this is a bad dude. His name is Lucifer, otherwise known as Satan or the devil, the tempter of the brethren, the accuser, the father of lies, bad news, okay? Satan's no bueno. John chapter 4. You need to find John chapter 4. Now, Satan, what do we know about Satan? What do you guys know about Satan? Or what do you think you know? Yes. He's a fallen angel. He was very, very involved in worship. Uh, some people conclude that he may have been the lead worshiper uh, of the angels, but we know he was definitely involved in worship. Yes. He was some kind of serpent, uh, but not a snake. Remember, he was only a snake. If you pay close attention, he only lost his arms and legs after he tempted Adam and Eve. Before that, maybe more like a dragon, how Revelation defines him, uh, or some kind of, of weird lizard thing, uh, but, or, or that's at least how he is described. So he wasn't cursed until after the fall. He is actually, he is beautiful beyond uh, our imagination. You can go to the next slide. That's what we think of him as, but really the Bible says that he can transform himself to even mimic an angel of light. Very alluring, very beautiful, very uh, attractive, and something that we would be very willing, wow, yeah, this is awesome, tell me more. We'd be tempted to trust him, uh, to be drawn to him, and yet he is 100% still the devil, a fallen angel. Uh, now remember, he is not a God, okay? A lot of people attribute that at the end, God and Satan are going to duke it out and God's going to win, but by only by, you know, uh, tallying up the score and he just barely squeaks by. Satan's destroyed quite easily in the end. Read the end of your Bible. It's, it's amazing. Satan fails epically. It's probably the biggest fail the world will have ever seen. And he ends up in the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet. Okay, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Satan, though. He is real. He is as real as you and I. He is as real as the people around you. He is as real as anything else in your life. And then when we talk about Satan, along with it goes uh, spiritual deception, goes spiritual warfare and temptation. And some of you guys are even going to battle it today right now in this room. This is what it looks like. What do you mean, at church? Yes, at church. The Bible tells us that the seed goes out, that someone's going to uh, throw the word of God out, right? And other people are going to be one of four ways. One of them, they're going to be too hard to even receive it. They're just going to, nope, I don't care, and I've been here too long, or I don't want anything to do with this stuff. And it's going to bounce right off their forehead, and they're going to mess around, and they're going to talk during service, and be, even be used by Satan to distract people around them. It's going to happen. I can't stop it. I wish I could, but I can't. It's up to you. And then when the word goes out, for some people, it's going to bounce off of their minds and their hearts, and they want nothing to do with God. They don't care. The Bible's a joke. This is just silly. Uh, we're going to the beach after this. Can't you just hurry up and be quiet and let's move on? But that's only a few people. 
Then there's others, though. There's two more that are, are as equally disheartening, that they're going to hear the word, and they're going to get super excited about it. This is going to be awesome. And they're going to be just crazy. This is rad. This is awesome. But as soon as they step outside the doors, that the cares and concerns of the world, you're going to be too consumed with in and out or getting to your friend's house or the movie theaters, that you're going to that fast kind of forget about what God puts on your heart in the next 20, 30 minutes together and begin to go right back after the things of the world. And so though it does hit your heart and you agree with it, you'll forget about it that quick. Then there's the other people that are as concerning, one of these two, that you're going to like it, you're going to love it. You might even go out and think about it. You might start reading your Bible. But then when school starts, the neighbor kid comes over, and they're like, what? You have a Bible? What do you do that for? You go to church? Well, oh, I mean, all of a sudden, oh, my mom makes me. It's, it, I don't really like it. And you know inside, you're lying. But then there's the fourth soil, which I pray every one of us are today, that when the word of God goes out, it hits a kind of a heart that will grab it and allow the word of God to take root, and they're going to live it out at all costs. Whether people make fun of them, I don't care. I'm going to stand my ground. Jesus died for me. I can live for him. That when the temptations of the world, yeah, go to the movies, go to in and out do your thing, but they're never going to overwhelm your concern and care for the Lord. Never going to happen because Jesus Christ is first. It says that person, that God will begin to raise them up and grow them up to where out of their lives will begin to produce eternally valuable things. Over and over and over again throughout their life, God will have a very special blessing and a leading and a guiding it upon that kind of a heart. It's awesome. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare, it is a very real thing that's happening all of the time, every day. The question is, do you recognize it or not? Because look, as much as Satan stinks, I hate that guy. He's not stupid. He is not stupid. He's been playing with mankind, deceiving them, tricking them, manipulating them, lying to them, about them for thousands of years. He's got us figured out. The only antidote to what he does is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That when God comes upon us, it says that we are a new creation, transformed and being transformed into his image. And that when the Holy Spirit moves in, the power of God is upon our lives to walk worthy of the calling that we no longer are given to the things of the world and that we no longer live our lives after ourselves or the enemy, Satan, the principalities and powers of darkness. But it is real. If you've been convinced otherwise or you dumb it down and think it's not that big of a deal or you think it's funny, I'll tell you right now, you're in his grip. You're in his grip. Jesus had a conversation with Satan. We're going to look about it today. They met up face to face. They met prior to this many times, I'm sure, that like we talked about during worship up in heaven prior to the fall of uh, the angels. They met in the garden. They met in the book of Job. And now here, though, face to face on earth in the wilderness, Jesus and Satan are going to hang out for about 40 days, okay? It's kind of a long time. We can read it in about 40 seconds. But what you're seeing is a tremendous meeting that Jesus and Satan had with an incredible conclusion. Take a look uh, at Luke chapter 4, just verse 1 and 2 here for a second. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. What are you talking about? What's going on? 
just prior to this, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. He comes out, and he is led into the wilderness, and he's there for 40 days. He's fasting. You guys ever hear the word of fasting, what it means to fast? It means to starve your flesh, literally no food. Uh, Oftentimes, people even go without drink or water, and it's to remind yourself who's in control. You guys ever do something you don't want to do? You ever lie when you know you shouldn't? You didn't even want to. Or you push your brother or your sister, and you didn't even really mean to. It just kind of happened. Uh, or you go and do something dumb, and it's almost like your body had control over your actions. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't it weird? It's the strangest thing. If you've never experienced it, man, you just begin to open up your eyes to it and ask God to show you. It's wild. And so fasting puts our body in check. Remember, this body is not eternal. The only eternal part of who you are is your spirit. Your body is going to either rot away in the ground or it's going to be transformed into something similar but very different when the rapture happens. But either way, this body's temporary. It's not who we are. Yet it's what we define ourselves by. We dress it up the way we want people to think of us. We do our hair a certain way. We do our makeup. Ladies, gentlemen, you better not be wearing makeup, Right? <laughs> I mean, our shoes, everything, our backpacks, it's all about how we look. It's the one thing that will perish, guaranteed to rot, is the thing that we pay attention to the most. And the thing that is eternal and will never, never die, our spirit, is what we pay attention to the least. That's why we're told, right? Peter says, dude, ladies, and this goes for gentlemen nowadays, don't adorn yourself merely on the outward. Don't worry so much. I mean, you want to do your hair? Comb your hair. Please comb your hair, right? You want to put the eye boogers out? Fine, do it. You want to blow the little morning boogers out of your nose? Do it. But it's the heart that God is most concerned with. And so Jesus and Satan are having this uh, kind of conversation, this meeting, and things are going to go back and forth here. There's three big areas of temptation that Satan hangs in front of Jesus' face that we can all learn from today because it is happening. It will continue to happen until the day we die or the Lord comes back. It will continue to happen. Now, question, where are they? Where are they? Right here, John chapter 4, verse 1, where, where are they? In the wilderness. You're right, the wilderness. Um, who else is in the wilderness? Satan, Jesus, and a whole lot of nobody, okay? In the wilderness, imagine taking a long walk out in the middle of the desert. Who are you going to find? No one. You're alone. You're completely isolated and separated from everything familiar and everyone around you. This is exactly what's going on in this chapter. Now, sometimes we find ourselves, we're not necessarily walking by cactuses, and uh, you've seen little ground squirrels running around or some ravens flying by. But we feel isolated. We feel like we're wandering around in that desert. Maybe it's the desert of the city or there's too many people and they all just blend in. But we feel completely alone and isolated. It's real. It happens. And that's exactly where Satan wants to go after us. If he can get you alone, he believes at least he has a greater advantage over you. And if you're not careful, he does. They're alone. They're in the wilderness. Now let me ask you another question. How did they get there? How did Jesus end up there? He was, good job, Lul. He was led by the Spirit. Take a look. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But isn't that the place he got tempted? Isn't that the place he met face to face with Satan? Yeah. But I thought, I thought God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't. Then I don't understand. Here's the deal. 
God will not tempt us. James chapter 1 says that God is never going to tempt you. Could you imagine you go home today and your dad's like, hey, I'll tell you what. If you fail your first quarter of math, I'll give you 100 bucks. Just don't do any homework for like three months. Don't show up on the test days. Tell your teacher she's ugly or fat. I tell you what, if you can get a detention on top of it, I'll give you 200 bucks. Are you kidding? I'm in. And then the day comes, the report card comes, and he's like, what is this? I failed, like you said. You're grounded for the rest of your life. Get in your room. You're like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. You told me to do that. I was testing you. Ha, 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 fail. Right? That would not work out in our best interest. Gosh, our dad would be a pretty mean individual, definitely not loving in any way, and yet we look at God, and when we say, God, why are you tempting me like this? I don't want to sin, but you're putting it right in front of me, so I guess you're doing it. That's not the truth. God would never set you up to fail, but he will lead you into a place of being tried or a place of trials. He leads us into places where we might face temptation because it's through those things that our faith is worked out. It's through those things that our faith is stretched and becomes stronger and we grow, but he will never be the one to tempt you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, talks about this super clearly. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. Pause right there for just a second. You guys ever feel like what you're going through, no one else would understand? Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? No one would understand how I feel. No one knows what I'm going through. All right, fair enough. The emotion is real. You can't change it. But guys, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Every temptation that we come up against is the same temptation that was going on 100 years ago and 100 years before that. And when Jesus walked and then before that and thousands of years ago, there is no temptation that has overtaken you except as what is common to mankind. You think people didn't want to steal a thousand years ago? Same problems. You think they weren't tempted to lie? Of course they were. Cain and Abel and everything that went on then, Cain lied. You think that lust wasn't a problem? No, all girls were ugly and all guys were out of shape back then. Of course, it's always been a temptation. Everything has always been there. It's not new. It's just new to us. And so we think, no one knows. No one understands. If Satan can convince you to think that, he's beginning to get you into the desert. You're isolated. No one can understand. No one knows. So why should I talk to anybody? Why should I share? Why should I be real? Why should I ask for prayer? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also, he will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. How do we get out? How do we run away? Second Timothy, we're told, look it, to flee from our youthful desires, lusts. Flee from our youthful, ungodly passions. So what does flee mean? What does it mean to flee? You run. Um, anybody ever been chased by a dog? I still think it's one of the most exhilarating things you could ever do. Everyone should have to run from one dog in their lifetime. I, I believe, I think it's awesome. The amount of adrenaline that starts pumping, and you run faster than you've ever ran in your entire life, and when you're done, you feel like Superman because you just outran the right, Doberman Pinscher or the Bulldog or something. Like, but here's the deal. Uh, depends which ones you meet. 
I had one. He's gone now for a variety of reasons. Here's the deal. If you're walking to school, you're home from your neighbor's house, and all of a sudden all you hear is like, <laughs> are you like, huh, is it a poodle, a chihuahua, or, oh, look, it's a Rottweiler, and he's got rabies. That's so cute. Now, let me pray. Lord, should I run from this? Ah! No! What do you do? You don't pray about it. You don't have to do a Bible study about it. You don't have to download a sermon about it. You run. Why? It's going to kill you. If it's so common sense when we're just trying to save our own body, why won't we try and save our own soul this way? The temptation, right? That girl, that guy walks by, and instead of like, oh, man, you're trying to distract me from the Lord right now, or that thing is laying out you want to take, or you're tempted to lie, cheat, steal, kill, destroy, deceive, whatever it is, those little things in our life, instead of being like, um, dude, okay, I got I to get out of here. Let's just, uh, let's just go for a walk, or I'm just going to go outside right now, or I'm not going to play on the computer, or I'm going to whatever, fill in the blank. Instead of being like, well, I'm praying about it. About what? About my temptation. Stop praying and run. Pray for strength to run. Pray for the boldness to run. But you know what you're supposed to do. Flee youthful lusts. And pursue righteousness, faith, hope. Look, you guys are familiar with a guy named Job? A lot of you might think his name is Job. It's spelled J-O-B in the Old Testament. Job went through some crazy trials. Satan comes up, and he is talking to God. They're having this discussion, and, and says, they get on this topic of faithfulness. And by the way, angels are incredibly curious about your faith in the Lord. They don't understand it. You've never seen God. And you have this incredible faith and trust in him, this relationship that no one can seem to figure out. Angels don't get it. Like, man, I, I, I cannot wait to talk to them and try and figure out, to pry into their minds, how did you come to trust in God? You never saw him. They don't, they don't understand God the way that we do. They don't have the same relationship. He's not their father and savior. and It's a totally different relationship. So Satan comes in and he's, oh, dude, Job, dude, the only reason Job likes you is because you've blessed him. Look at huge house, huge family, great job all kinds of money, all kinds of servants. Of course he loves you. You've given him everything he's ever wanted. God says, you think that's why, huh? Because I give him stuff? All right, take it all away. You can't kill him, though. But you can take it all away. So the house falls down. His kids are killed. Uh, robbers come in, destroy his job, take away his money, kill his servants. And at the end of one day, the only one left is Job and his wife. And then Satan goes back up, and God's like, <laughs> told you. God knew. Satan didn't. Interesting thing. Job, Job and Satan are learning something big in this book, something huge. So Satan goes back up, and he's like, you know what? All right, maybe it wasn't the stuff, but like, he's totally healthy. I mean, he, he doesn't have an ache in his bones. He doesn't have a messed up joint. He, all his teeth are nice and shiny, like, He's fine. Of course he still loves you. You've preserved his life. I mean, so maybe he didn't love stuff. And God says, all right, make him sick. You, can, you can't kill him, but you can make him uncomfortable. It says that Job breaks out in these crazy boils, and he's 
sitting in ashes, just scraping off all the pus, and it's miserable. Miserable. But never did he turn his back on the Lord. Why? Because Job understood that a faith in God is not dependent upon stuff or health. None of it. It's based off of his love for us. That's it. God is love, and besides him, there is no other. It's neat throughout the book of Job, you see God restored to him in the end, but two things happen. Job learns a lesson, but so does Satan. What does Satan learn? Satan learns about how powerful faith really is. He didn't believe it. He doesn't actually love you. He doesn't actually trust you. He just likes the stuff you're doing. Satan had no concept of faith, and he begins to see the power of what faith can do, that faith can preserve a life. Job finds out how powerful God is. And he sees in the end, he says, look, behold, what my ears have seen, now my eyes have begun to see. Imagine being able to take a blind person. He's 70 years old. He's heard about the sun set at the beach, right? He's, seen the, he's heard of the sky looks like fire, but you've never seen fire. So um, it's, it's bright and brilliant, but you've never seen bright and brilliant before. Um, it's it's red and orange and eventually on the other side fades this like dark blue black and and the stars are it's the most beautiful thing i've ever seen if you can just imagine your mind and this blind guy is like look i i believe this is happening but i I believe it my ears have heard it but i've never seen it imagine taking that 70 year old blind guy who's never seen a color a day in his life to the beach and right as the sun's going down the sky's on fire the stars are coming up behind him all of a sudden you give him the gift of sight Oh, man, that would be the most jumpy 70-year-old guy you've ever seen. <laughs> what? Have you seen? This is amazing. It's like the sky's on fire, and it fades. Oh, I mean, I've heard of these stars. I've heard of them, but this is, am- this is miraculous. Have you seen this? And is that, is that red? That's red? Yeah? Whoa, red's my new favorite color, but so is orange and, and yellow and all these blues. This is, this is miraculous. maybe so what happens to Job what happens to Job he says at the end of his trial at the end of the temptations at the end of the difficulty he says everything I've heard about God not that he doubted it he uh, apparently had great faith in it behold what my ears have heard now my eyes have seen the goodness and the faithfulness of God How'd that happen? Through trials, through sufferings. We learn more about God through a minute of suffering than we do a day of his blessings. Two things he finds out. So look, how'd they get there? Sometimes God will bring us into difficulties. Sometimes he will allow things into our lives like he did Job, like he did Paul, like he did most of the disciples, like he does you and I. But he does not abandon you there. He wants to grow you there. Where did the meeting take place? Was it the Hilton? Was it a desert island? Where did they, they meet? Where did Jesus and Satan meet up? In the wilderness, right? They're in this isolated place. Uh, look, the enemy is going to try and separate you, and he'll work on you slowly. How many days were they there? 40 days. This wasn't like a, a one-minute trial. This wasn't a one-minute temptation. This was a 40 day 
process. Kind of a big deal. But you know what's neat? If you look at other people in the Bible who are in the desert for a long period of time, at the end of it, incredible things happen. You guys know about uh, the book of Exodus, right? The nation of Israel, they're slaves to Egypt. They're being beat and whipped and forced to build someone else's kingdom. Uh, God sends Moses, let my people go. And then they all like walk across dry land. The waters come in, boom, kill Pharaoh, the most powerful army in the world. Radical stuff happens. But they spend the next 40 years wandering around in the desert because of their hard hearts. But their kids grow up to have a unique faith in God. And when they're done in the desert, they enter into the blessed promised land. It's amazing. It's incredible. You look at John the Baptist. Where'd he come from? He comes walking out of the wilderness. Yeah, he's kind of funny looking, wearing his camel's hair, eating locusts dipped in honey. He's a gnarly dude, but used in an incredible way to usher in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Or Paul. You guys know about the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Crazy dude. How do you learn so much? By hanging out with Jesus, guess where? In a very isolated, wilderness-like place. Whenever people embrace the season of loneliness or they allow it to come in, but not to walk away from God, but to cling to him, God blesses it in a unique way. He will overwhelm them with his goodness. He will reveal to them his faithfulness and his power. It's amazing So we have Jesus and Satan, they're face to face, they're hanging out, it's 40 days, how does the meeting go? What happens? Let's take a look. The first thing he's going to be tempted with is, basically, is pride. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 3 and 4 with me, it's pride. And the devil said to him, Jesus, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Think Jesus was hungry, right? He's not eating. It's been a a few days. Maybe it's closer to the end of 40 days. He hadn't eaten a meal in potentially weeks. Think he's hungry? Well, he's probably starving. He felt all of it. It wasn't like he was immune to feelings. He's starving. He's out there. He's hungry. He's thirsty. Satan says, if you're really the Savior. Turn that, turn that little stone into a piece of bread. I mean, come on. If you're, it's pride. If you're really God, right, chicken? Like, I dare you. You're not God. You can't, oh, please. If you're God, then just do whatever you want. I mean, you want bread, right? Jesus would have said, yeah, of course. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in days. All right, well, if you're really God, turn it into bread. Prove it. Okay, you know, I'm going to show you. Watch this. And all of a sudden, turns the mountain into like a huge birthday cake or something. Like, he could have done it. Could Jesus have turned the stone into bread? Absolutely. He could have blinked and turned it into cheesecake or filet mignon or whatever, right? Could have been raining Skittles. It doesn't, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. The temptation, though, if you're so powerful and you're so great, then you just do what you want. That is pride. And anytime you think, oh, you know what? I can just do what I want. I can get away with it. This is something I desire, and so I'm just going to take it, and no one's going to tell me what to do. Satan's got you. Was Jesus hungry? Big time. Could he have done it? Yes. Did he? No. Why? There's something bigger at stake. You know what's funny? He didn't say, I'm not hungry. He didn't say, I don't like bread. He didn't say, it's too hard for me. What? Throwing a coal at him? Yeah. Throwing water on him? Watch him melt like the Wicked Witch of the West? 
verse 4. But Jesus answered him. He did answer, but look what he uses. It's not his own, like, ooh-la-la, wisdom, Eastern little phrases. It's the word of God. If you don't know your Bible, you'll fall for Satan every time. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. What is he talking about? It's about more than the moment and the things we want to make us happy for a season. You guys ever eat dinner? You know, you're like, nope, never. Don't believe in it. Liar. Um, dude, I had bomb dinner last night. And guess what? When I woke up this morning, I was hungry for breakfast. Why? Food makes, you can, last night it was like, oh man, my wife made this homemade peach cobbler thing. She actually cut up the peaches and like, it was amazing. Uh, only thing better than cheesecake, I'm telling you. You're missing it, man. It's the best food of the world. <laughs> well, here's the deal. So you eat your stuff. You guys ever feel like you're going to throw up or die because you ate too much? But within about 10 hours, you're like, I could eat that again. I could do that again. Why? It's a temporary satisfaction. Satan takes a temporary satisfaction and says, dude, you're God. Do what you want. I mean, if, if, oh, if you're really God, prove it. Make this bread. God says, I'm not falling for your trick. Jesus says, dude, that, that is temporary. Man shall not live by bread alone. Yeah, it'll make me full for a moment, but guess what? By tomorrow, I'm hungry again. When's the last time we looked at our temptations and said, you know what? I want it. I genuinely do. But I know the moment it's over, my life will fall apart. And then I'll want more, and I'll want more, and I'll want more, and it'll continue to go on and on and on. You don't have to prove you're a Christian by doing dumb things. You don't have to prove God's power. You don't have to prove anything by doing what you want. In fact, we do what the Lord wants. Our life proves our faith. Our life is to prove our faith. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Someone should never have to say, you're a Christian? Prove it. It should be, like, look at my life. Just look at my life. Let your light so shine before men. By the way, light is a reference to truth, absolute truth. Look let your truth be made known to all men, that they may see your good works. Your daily living is done to God, and so it is good. And that they would glorify your Father in heaven. How do people know that you are a son of God or that you are a daughter adopted by Jesus Christ? How does that work? You don't have to tell them. You don't have to do a miracle. You just live out your life full of faith in God about more than what we eat or drink it's not about bread alone it's not about the moment now it's about the long-term game we've got to live by the word of god take it in so that you can live it out right so you right now if you're not getting familiar with the word of god you will fall upon every one of satan's little stupid deceptive tricks you ever trip on a little crack in the sidewalk don't you like more than the pain you feel stupid. The moment you're just like, <laughs> you're not like, oh, my toe. You're just like, who saw? Who saw? Okay, I think I'm good. You feel so dumb. You guys ever trip, trip on nothing? <laughs> there's not even, you're like, oh, come on. There's not even a crack. Like, at least I need, come on. I'm telling you right now, this is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path, and that if you do not get to know the word of God, how do I do that? Just start reading it. 
You have to read the whole thing by tomorrow or even the end of the summer. Just start reading it. Read a little bit every morning. Your Bible and breakfast, they go great together, I promise. Just a little bit, 10 minutes. Read through the Gospels. See what Jesus did, what he's like, what he says, the truth that he gives. But if you don't, it doesn't take much to bring down even the most powerful of men. A little crack can trip up anybody. Satan doesn't have to do big things. He just lays down those little cracks and those trip lines in our life. But God, he knew, obviously, Jesus knew the word. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 5 and 8 with me. Pride didn't get it. Jesus knew who he was. You don't have to ask me if you're the son of God. I am. I'm Jesus. I'm God. Hey, look, deal with it. I don't have to prove myself to you. So he goes after the temptation of power. Power, authority, we love. Our flesh, our sinful state, loves power and authority. We love getting to call the shots and do what we want and put people in their place. We love it. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you. And the glory for, sorry, and their glory for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Satan says, hey, see all these kingdoms? Yeah, I'll give it. You can rule and reign over all of it. And all the glory and the power in all of these places, they're mine. They've been given to me, and I can give it to whoever I want. Jesus, I'll give you everything you're looking for. All of it. At what cost? Verse 7, therefore... If you will worship before me, all will be yours. Interesting, huh? Can Satan do that? Have we forgotten who he is? We brush him off? He is an enemy. And he is smart. What he does stinks, but he is smart. And he is powerful. And he's deceptive. But does he really have the power to give people power in this world, on this earth? The answer is yes. Is he really in control? He's in control of some things. But not everything. But take a look at these verses. I just, you can write them down, look them up later. But talking about Satan, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talks about Satan as being the god of this age. The time that we're living in, that he, over, he rules over it. John 12, 31, that he's the ruler of the world. In Ephesians 2, 2, it says that he's the prince of the power of the air. He has great influence upon people. That The moment we sinned, well, I say we, we weren't in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, but in that moment, God said, I give you dominion over all creation. And Adam and Eve, instead of listening to God, listened to Satan, just handed Satan all of their influence and power and authority. And so now... Satan has a lot of pull on people's hearts. Don't think he doesn't know what he's doing. But as Ephesians says, he's the prince of the power of the air. He is not the king. He may be a prince, but he is not the king. He will one day bow to the king of kings. He will be cast into the lake of fire. It is true. And that when we become a son of the king, we become heirs through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You are untouchable. He can influence your life. He can manipulate your life. He can try and discourage you, but he can 
not kill you. He cannot crush you. But what he's offering Jesus, it is legitimate. It is real. Hey, all this? Yeah, remember Adam and Eve? He's like, yep, sure do. When they screwed everything up, I took over. And now it's all mine and I can give it to you. Jesus is probably, you dummy. Don't you know I'm the king of kings? I'm the Lord of lords. At my name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that I am Lord. Like, come on. You know me. Satan says, I'll give it to you all. Just worship me. Is it true? You see, right, musicians and actors and actresses that claim to give their lives to demons and darkness and the devil and they become incredibly popular and influential. Don't think it's a joke for a moment. Don't think they're kind of weird and loopy. It's real. You'll either worship one of three things, Satan, yourself, or the Savior. Look at this, though. How did Jesus respond to it in verse 8? And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not separate service and worship? He didn't. He didn't say you can worship this and you can serve that. That You can have two totally different lives. That You can come in one moment and give your heart to one thing, but then go put your hands to something totally separate. Jesus says whatever you worship indeed is actually what you are serving. And so how do you find out who you're really worshiping by who you're really serving? You will serve yourself, Satan, or the Savior. And whoever it is is who you worship. If it's yourself, how do you know if you serve yourself? It's easy. How do you know if you worship yourself? It's easy. Galatians chapter 5, talking about self. Uh, 19, 20, and 21 give us a list of the works of the flesh, selfishness, all right? If any of these are super evident in your life, you might need to seriously sit down and redirect your attention. Of these, though, let me just give a few that might sound familiar. Are you full of hatred? You, you actually kind of like it almost. You like the feeling of hatred. People do. Contentions. You like to argue. You just poke at everything, no matter what you push back. Jealousies. You always just are undone by other people's successes or blessings. You want more than they have. Outbursts of wrath. You got a bad temper all the time. Selfish ambitions. You want what's best for you. There's more. There's a lot more. In fact, dude, that's me. Guess what? I'll tell you right now. You serve yourself and you worship yourself. There's no way, no way you can... Serve yourself and worship God. It's impossible. What about Satan? People worship Satan. When they do the works of Satan, John chapter 8 makes it clear there's a bunch of religious people. They're very familiar with the Bible. They've grown up doing church kinds of things. But then Jesus begins to reveal who he is and what's going on. And they get in front of him and they try and stop him. They accuse Jesus of being demon possessed and all this crazy stuff. And Jesus turns to them and says, look, I know you're religious. I know you think you know what's going on. But indeed, you're doing the work of your father, the devil. Anytime we try and get in front of what God is doing, you are indeed aiding Satan. That doesn't have to be a tremendously huge thing. Anytime you're trying to distract people or you're pushing back from it or you're walking away or you're trying to pull other people down, you are working for Satan. And so it's who you worship. Then there's the Savior. He's awesome. 
the flesh, we feel almost trapped to do what it wants. Like, almost like it's in control sometimes. Satan, same thing. The temptations own us. We don't own them. But then there's a Savior. He brings freedom and liberty and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And in response to that, Romans chapter 12, it says, look, I'm begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That when we begin to commit our ways to the Lord, then we really begin to worship him. Worship and service can never be separated. The last thing, the third thing that Satan hangs in front of his face is the temptation to presume things. What does that mean? To presume things. It means to take or to do something without the right or the permission. You just think, that it don't matter. I'm just going to do what I want. I don't really care what my mom says or my dad says. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what any kind of an authority says, my teacher says. I'm going to do what I want. God will forgive me. You might be wrong. If you just think, I'm just going to sin a little bit, God will, God will get over it. <laughs> you have been deceived. Just to presume things. Look, sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's power, sometimes it's t- temptation to presume. Ah, not that big a deal to take or do something without permission verse 9 10 11 and 12 then he brought him to jerusalem set him on the pinnacle of the temple up high and said to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down from here jump to your death except right do what you want for it is written you shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Don't do it. Satan says, Look, you're God. Let's go over this again. You think you're from the Lord. Okay, you think you're God. Then you jump down, and the Bible says that uh, indeed angels will lift you up and they will carry you off. And he says, Don't you dare. The Bible says, Do not tempt God. What does it mean? It says, don't make God prove himself. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do it. If you, this is crazy stuff. Do you know that you're invincible until the day that God calls you home? You cannot die. If you are walking with God, you cannot die until the day God calls you home. It is impossible. That if God calls you, you're following the Lord and he calls you, Uh, to go join the military, you take off into the Middle East. Everyone around you can die, but if it's not your day to die, they can shoot holes through every inch of your jacket and you will come home alive. But if you're not walking with God and you join the military and just, oh, God will protect me. The question is, are you walking with God or not? We do the same thing in a much smaller scale uh, think, though, of a couple guys, Daniel in the lion's den, right? Did God save Daniel out of the lion's den? Yeah, why? Because God led Daniel to the lion's den. What if Daniel's like, watch this, my God will save me. And just a Friday afternoon, they're bored. He's like, oh, God will save me, watch this, and just jumps in on his own. He would have died. He would have died. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing. They're trying to show off, well, look what my God can do. And they throw themselves into a burning furnace. Guess what? They would have burned. David and Goliath. You think David's just like, huh, I've been working out. Watch this, ladies. He would have died. 
But when you're walking with the Lord, you're invincible. You don't just presume, oh, pff, I'll do this. God will get over it. God will go with me. It's not that big of a deal. Don't put yourself in the position of compromise. Don't do it. Don't put yourself in the position to be influenced by that guy or that girl. Don't be put in the position. Don't put yourself in a place of temptation just to think, oh, I'll, I'll muscle through it. Doesn't the Bible say flee youthful lust? 1 Corinthians 15, says, don't be deceived, don't be tricked. Evil company, in fact, corrupts good habits. If we walk with the Lord, we will overcome. But if we don't, we will be overcome. Don't think for a moment that we can just presume, oh, God will go with me. Oh, God will get over it. Oh, God doesn't care about my sin. He cares in a big way. The last thing I want you guys to see is verse 13. How did it all end? How does it all end? Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, or sorry, yeah, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Who walked away from whom? Satan walked away. When he recognized, all right, I can't get you. I failed when you were a baby. I sent Herod out. He tried to kill every male child in Bethlehem. That didn't work. Your parents were too smart. God told them what to do. They ran down to Egypt. I couldn't kill you as a baby. Apparently, I couldn't trap you now. Maybe in the end, I'll get you. Apparently, he hasn't read the end. Revelation chapter 20 says that Satan will be cast alive into the lake of fire, and there he will be forever and ever, as if forever wasn't long enough. Satan will fail. The question is, will we triumph or will we be trapped? Worship team can come on out. I'm just going to share this last verse with you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, he says, we're together in this, right? No temptation has overcome a man except what is common. We go through the same battles. I understand loneliness and depression. I understand anger. I know temptation. I know it. My brethren, we're in this together. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, please get over yourself and turn to Jesus. Who was in the desert? Satan was in the desert, right? But so was Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Walk with him. See what he does. But be careful. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And all the temptations that we just play around with, we think they're not that big of a deal. Or maybe pride is a bit of an issue for us. Or unless that power and that authority we seek, we want. Lord, we ask right now that you would overcome those things in our lives. God, that you'd set us free from them, that we would endure. and God, that we would submit to you today. Lord, your word promises that if we submit to God, resist the devil, in fact, he will flee from us. 
Lord, we pray for more of you in our lives, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be evident. God, that it would begin to shake, Lord, not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. And Lord, that you keep us close. Today, if you guys are in a place and you know some of this stuff's got to go, there's a, there's a little too much of self going on in your life. And you need more of Jesus. We're going to close on a worship song. But you tell the Lord, Lord, today I'm leaving it right here in this room. I'm done. And say, tell him, Lord, but I'm going to need your help. Tell him what the temptation is or the trials or whatever. He'll help you. He will fill you to overflowing. But you've got to give it to him. All right? Let's stand and worship.